This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. We all remember the Holocaust, the gas chambers, the piles of dead bodies, the merciless murder of women and children and men. Of course, you also remember that girl in red, Benini's kid on the tank, or Adrian Brody playing that dusty piano. And how can we forget Shoshana? So much of our imagery and memory of the Holocaust has been informed by stories, some of them even purely fictional. But that's the nature of time. So much of history is surrendered to the narrative, to the storytellers, the filmmakers, and the poets. What a heavy responsibility that must be. Rich Brownstein was born in Portland, Oregon in 1962. In 1989, Rich created what became Hollywood's largest transcription company, The Transcription Company, used by virtually every major studio and network, including NPR, ABC News, and Oprah. In 2003, he sold the business and moved his family to Jerusalem. He started teaching Holocaust film for Young Judea in 2010 and branched out into Jewish film in 2013. Since 2015, Rich has been a lecturer at Yad Vashem, specializing in teaching educators how to teach the Holocaust using film. He has lectured at many colleges and universities about the history of Holocaust film, and we are very honored to be joined by Rich today to talk about the Holocaust in film. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. So where do we start? Okay. Um, first of all, how long did it take you to come up with the name for your company? The transcription company? Yeah. Like, was it an all-nighter <laughs> of uh, the original <laughs> brainstorming? <name> or? <laughs> the original name of my company was Trailblazer Transcripts because I'm a Portland Trailblazer fan Okay. from Portland, Oregon. And then I bought out um, a couple of competitors and um one of them was named zedlar and one was named the transcription zone so i just figured i just put it all together okay. and the transcription company cool nice so now that we got that out of, of the way i think we have to start with the question what is in your opinion the best uh holocaust movie ever made uh the best holocaust film ever made by far is called the gray zone it was made in 2001, uh, and it was directed by uh, an actor named Tim Blake Nelson, who um, had directed a few small movies, but he was famous for acting in Coen Brothers films, uh, most famously, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, where he co-starred with George Clooney and John Turturro. But he was also the star t a few years ago in The Ballad of Billy Scruggs. He was Billy Scruggs. Uh, and last year in The Watchmen, he was the mirror uh, in that series. He works all the time. He's worked with Spielberg. He's, I mean, he's, he's Jewish. He is Jewish, and he is uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, even a smaller town than Birmingham. Wow, twenty three hundred Jews, I think. Uh, so I bet he gets the question: "There's Jews there." 
all the time. Yeah, just like I get it. I'm yeah. from Portland. The Jews in Portland. Oh, okay, I thought you were going to say about L.A. No. <laughs> Nobody asked uh, that about L.A. So uh, uh, Tim wrote this uh, play, uh, and then he uh, turned it into a movie. He, he got Harvey Keitel to be a, an executive producer and to uh, co-star as a Nazi. Tim didn't appear in it. He just... Uh, he got Harvey Keitel and Steve Buscemi and David Arquette and Mira Servino and a whole bunch of people who you'd recognize. And they um, don't dance uh, with their kids on tanks and they don't, and there are no Nazis who save Jews and um, they're not a bunch of crazy old survivors. This is about the, the Birkenau revolt, revolt of 1944. Uh, and uh, it is astounding. Uh, Roger Ebert uh, said it was one of the best films of 2002. He revisited it again in 2009 as one of the great movies. But The Gray Zone disappeared. Why? Because it was released on September 13th, 2001. Mm. The buildings were still smoldering after the attacks at mm-hmm. 9-11. And it was a bad, it was not a good time to release a movie. They have two days to postpone it. Right. right. Not really. <laughs> and uh, it also had really bad publicity. And also, I don't think anybody really took Tim Blake Nelson seriously as a director. Uh, so but, is it like your life mission to raise awareness to that movie? No, because there. Uh, do you, I, do you I, have like uh, you have money invested in it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You're like I'm gonna make that investment back. Lose one money of these there. <laughs> no, no. They uh, they have a total box office gross of uh, half a million dollars. Wow. Yeah, and, and that includes the three CDs I bought. But <laughs> was it produced by a, a large studio? It was produced by uh, a couple of Israelis, mostly Millennium uh, uh, Productions. Uh, the people were did Rambo and a bunch of other things. So but, uh, okay. You know what? Uh, like, if you, we talk about the the Coen Brothers, so Big Lebowski wasn't a big movie when it was released. It took years until it became what it became. So that's not necessarily an excuse, right? Because Sometimes film becomes... Fargo. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, they've had some big movies. But in this case, regarding Holocaust films, there aren't a lot of big movies. Okay, so what is the best no, known movie, Holocaust movie ever made? In your, like from the movies that people know, what okay, is the best So one? let me just get this out of the way. Okay. Well, let me get a couple of things out of the way. Okay. First, I'm releasing, I, I'm publishing, there's a book being published. Yes. Uh, next month called uh, Holocaust Cinema Complete, my book, uh, which is a complete analysis of 400 Holocaust films. Every film that I considered to be a Holocaust film since 1945, 443 films, with a teaching guide. And in that book, I recommend 52 films. Okay. Of those 52 films, I highly recommend 15 films. Okay. I break down films, Holocaust films, into basically four categories. Victim films. So it took place during the Holocaust, and it was, the protagonist was a Jew. Hmm. So uh, the pianist is a great example of that. 
righteous Gentile films. So it took place during the Holocaust. But the protagonist is a Gentile, usually saving a Jew, like in Schindler's List. But uh, it could be uh, there are, there are uh, anti-Semitic Jews in that category, too, like uh, in Conspiracy, which is about uh, the Vance Conference. And then if it took place after the Holocaust and it's about a Jew, then it's a survivor film, uh, like uh, Harold and Maude or a Adam Resurrected. And if it's after the Holocaust and it's about a Nazi, it's a, per per <clears throat> excuse me, a perpetrator film, which uh, is like in Israel, the debt, Hachov, uh, Marathon Man. Operation Finale now. With, uh, uh, operate all of those Eichmann. <clears throat> they're, yeah. they're about 10 Eichmann films mm -hmm. uh, and Mangala films. Uh, and Munich. Then, no, because that wasn't, they weren't Holocaust. That wasn't. That ah, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. I get it mixed up. So, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's, a, there's this bonus category mm -hmm. called tangential films, extra films. Sophie's Choice is an example. Inglorious Bastards is an example. So in Sophie's Choice, which is clearly a Holocaust film, she's not Jewish, so it can't be a victim film. She's not a righteous Gentile, so it can't be a righteous Gentile film. She's not a perpetrator, obviously, and she's not a survivor because survivors had to be Jewish. So this is the extra bonus category. But why by Inglorious Bastards? Like, isn't it like a, at least a gen, good Gentile movie or something of that sort? Who was the good Gentile in? The soldiers? Some of well, them they are Jewish. They weren't Gentile. The, the, except for Brad Pitt, they were all Jewish. Yeah, right. So, so because the, they're Jewish, so they, this movie for you... They weren't the protagonists. It goes in the miscellaneous category. Right, exactly. That's a really nice way of putting it. Yeah. It's a miscellaneous category. So, um, so, so wait, so what so, is the, yeah, so, all the right, best so, known Holocaust okay, movie? Okay, so in your give us one of those. Of I the, mean, you're going to have to find, first of all, dear listeners, where can we, they get this book? Uh, you can go to holocaustfilms.com okay. and uh, read all about it, holocaustfilms.com. That's your website. That's right. Yeah. And there you're selling the book or it's soon to come out, you said, or it's, it's, it's coming out in September. Or in September. But okay, you can so, pre-order it. So keep an eye out, guys. Uh, we'll can, post a link to the you website. You can order it from my publisher, McFarland Press of Jefferson, North Carolina, or from Amazon. But okay. it'd be nicer if you got yeah. it from the from little the guy. From the website, yeah. Uh, not from the... I, I'm not... There's just a link to McFarland ah, okay. there. It's okay. just... I. I Obviously, yeah. if you have a choice between supporting support right. the publisher, right. so to get the entire list, they're going to have to buy the book, right? But and the book includes the list of all 443 Holocaust films, yeah. a description of them, where you can find the films, mm -hmm. uh, and it also includes a review of the 52 films that I recommend. Mm -hmm. Of the victim films, the uh, three victim films that I recommend are The Gray Zone, obviously. And a film called Fateless, which is uh, about a Hungarian boy who uh, survives the camps. He basically outlives the camps. And uh, a film called The Counterfeiters, which is uh, a, a, a true story about, these are all true stories, <clears throat> about uh, at Sachsenhausen there was a uh, German program to counterfeit mostly British currency. And they flooded uh, the banks with British currency. 
that was made there by counterfeiters. And it's a uh, beautifully told story uh, mm. about the head counterfeiter. Um, uh, and uh, uh, the pianist is also recommended, but it's not quite up there. Now, I know the question you're going to ask. Why? It probably has. Oh, no, I didn't know that was. I thought you were going to ask me about a film that has a girl in a red. Oh, no, it's coat. not a good movie. But so, it's not a Schindler. It's not a victim movie. No, it's not. It's a righteous Gentile yeah. film. And it's also it's very it's overestimated. I think. I think it, there's a consensus. It's overrated. Over overrated. Yeah, overrated. Sorry. Um, I was going to ask why the pianist. What do you have? Like the pianist is superb. So what's what's it the is problem? great. It's just not, uh, it's one of my 52 most recommended. <laughs> uh, it's not top three. What, what's its problems? In your Nothing. Oh, okay. It's just not as good as The Gray Zone, The okay. Counterfeiters, and Fateless. Okay. Uh, it, it's just, uh, I it, see. It, 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 it doesn't, it, it isn't as broad, it doesn't tell the same broad story, but it's, it's a great film. Okay. But I, I do write an entire chapter about... Roman Polanski and the pianist, but only in terms of how do we see Roman Polanski and the pianist in term through the lens of what we know about him being a rapist. Ah, okay. Like, how do you watch a Holocaust film where you have that baggage? That's what this chapter is about. That's interesting. That's that's a it's a common, I guess. Uh, question that a lot of people have about you know like oh. Michael Jackson songs right he's about mentioned in, in it general. even uh, John Lennon who beat his wife yeah I also wonder how many Holocaust movies were made by Holocaust survivors it's pretty rare no uh, it's very unique in that sense well uh, the the uh, the survivor genre so people who after the Holocaust there is the most recommend that my highest recommended film by far the greatest of, of survivor films so great that no other survivor film ever had to be made is called the birch tree meadow uh which is was made by a survivor uh loosely based on her experience um where a a, a woman goes back to birkenau slips inside and an older woman i mean she's she's made a new life for herself she's in her 60s but it's time to go back and to face it and she goes in and no other films do this that that all the all the other survivor films are about crazy survivors who uh can't function in society and they're they're uh, a um an embarrassment to uh, what real survivors are this one particular film uh really shows what a survivor is Uh, so there are a few. There is another one made by um, uh, a, a survivor. Um, he made a, an animated film. He was actually on Schindler's List. Yoram, um, I forget his last name, but the, the film was called Sarah and the Seventh Squirrel. Uh, and uh, it was animated with uh, Mia Farrow, speaking of Woody Allen, speaking of Roman Polanski. Uh, now there's the Anna Frank animated movie. Right. Have you seen it? I have. Is it I good? Was, I was at the premiere at the Jerusalem Film Festival uh, last week. Is it, is it any good? I read a review that says basically that it's, it's, 
it missed in the sense that um, in the end, there's an interpretation that relates to the immigrant problem nowadays. So the message of the movie takes the Anne Frank story and tries to say something about the current immigration and like, what does it have to do with that? What do you think about is it? I haven't seen the film, so. That's, yeah, you did pretty well. I, uh, well, I have a section of my book all about the entire history of Anne Frank films uh, and her diary. Including it, this movie? Or I mentioned this okay. movie too. Uh, even though I was going to press, I did mention it because I knew enough. It's, this movie's been coming out for eight years. Yeah. This, I mean, this it's is crazy. not. And also, interestingly, Ari Fullman, who made the film, made the, the best of all time perpetrator film the best holocaust perpetrator film a film about a nazi after the holocaust who's chased down so we've already talked about the three best in their categories the one that takes place in the north yes in, in called the snow made in israel made in israel yeah i've seen that one yeah. it, it, it's, it's it's a good movie yeah it's a great movie uh but okay so in so i talk about the history of the diary and and all of the Anne Frank films that have been made. There have been a couple of other animated Anne Frank films. There have been some that have gone all the way to the death camps. Uh, Most of them until 1985 were based on the Broadway play, uh, which uh, was feckless, which, I mean, it was limp. It, It didn't deal with the Holocaust. It didn't deal with her Jewishness. It could have been anybody hidden. Uh... And, but this particular film, Ari Fullman, he had a film before this called The Congress, where it was like an acid trip with... Um, Not a good one, in my w- opinion. With um, Robin Wright mm-hmm. and Harvey Keitel. Have you seen it, Ethan? No? It's, it's, uh, it was yeah. after Waltz with Bashir. It's in the same style. Uh, so, he, so this is animated. And... Um, he makes he gives the diary its own spirit it comes alive it somehow breaks out of the case in the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam and he uh, anthropomorphizes it he turns it into a human being who um, can see people uh, which was interesting in the Anne Frank house wander around then if the spirit kitty leaves uh, the uh, premises, turns into a real person that people can see. But like Cinderella, at a certain point in this case, when tourists will be arriving back into the Anne Frank house, if she doesn't make it back in, she's out forever as a human being. So she can return as a spirit. So she does that a couple of times. And uh, then she sees someone who... um, is pickpocketing, taking wallets in the Anne Frank house, uh, in Anne's room. And uh, she, she sees him on the street and when she's out there free. And she falls in love with him. And uh, he saves her from... The, because she's taken the diary. That's the other... She's actually taken the diary and everybody, all the police are looking for her. Uh, and uh, and so they're making out, and she doesn't 
the, sounds like an acid trip. It and at the end, <laughs> and at the end, she's on a roof. And uh, spoiler alert! And uh, all the police are down there, and everybody's down there, and she's up there with refugees from wherever. Doesn't matter. She's up there. Obviously, not from Norwegia. N not from not from uh, Norway. the ne Norway. Yeah. Well, actually, the Netherlands, but whatever. But she's up there with current refugees, and um, she says, "I will burn this. I will put it into this fire. If you don't let these refugees live in the Netherlands." <laughs> that's uh, to me. That's uh, it's 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 diminishing the Holocaust as a whole, and Anna Frank in particular. I uh, I like Ari Fulman's. Uh, I, I like Walsh with Bashir, and I like Made in Israel. I I love Made in Israel, and I think he had a lot of courage to make Walsh with Bashir. And I've asked him for an interview. He probably won't give one to me now yeah. that I roasted this. But I'd I'd really be interested in in in. Uh, and, and he's a nice guy. He probably did it from for the money. That's I don't my think opinion. so. No, no, no. I think it's the opposite. He had relatives. He people had put money into this. It was being produced for years and years and years. I don't think he could get out from underneath it. Hmm. I don't. Gamza I, 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 I mean, it's done. So I'm sure that you discuss in the book, or I, I suppose you discuss in the book, uh, uh, and you mentioned Inglorious Bastards, but films that that uh, um, either to totally fictionalize the parts of the Holocaust or. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stories that are told that aren't necessarily based on a true story. What's your take on the idea of creating a story that's uh, set in such a sensitive historical time um, and the potential of, you know, messing with history and messing with the narrative? Great question. Um, until uh, 1997, when Life is Beautiful came out, it was very common for core Holocaust stories, that is, about righteous Gentiles or about victims, to be based on fiction. And Life is Beautiful killed that dead. After Life is Beautiful, with the exception of um, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, there hasn't been a, a fictional a major fictional, a subst there really has not been a fictional death camp film made. Uh, and very few fictional films that aren't farce. Uh, Inglourious Bastards is clearly farce. And it's a great film, and it is one of the top three recommended tangential miscellaneous films, uh, including Sophie's Choice also. Um, but... Uh, in terms of the core representations of the Holocaust, obviously, uh, people don't need fiction uh, about death camps anymore. Uh, we know too much. We know we don't know uh, necessarily that if we see somebody in a labor camp and they have a tattoo, that there's a problem with it because only tattoos were in Auschwitz, and that's that's a little bit in the weeds. But we know 
that a father can't hang out with his kid on a tank or play with him in Auschwitz. And there's no reason for that anymore. So um, the, story, the stories about uh, righteous Gentiles are all true. Uh, there aren't fictional stories except for uh, that crap. I mean, that bad film, Jojo Rabbit. Um, so bad, I couldn't even finish it. It's so... It, it, it's, it's horrific. Yeah. Uh, and it's made by a Jew. Yes, I'm aware of that. Uh, but it doesn't mean anything. I mean... I didn't see it. The greatest... Uh, look... It, it just, it just hurts a little bit more. That's okay. it, you know. Okay. There have been there have been good Holocaust films made by non-Jews. Yeah. The greatest Jewish movie of all kind of all time, Fiddler on the Roof, was made by a non-Jew. Right. Although his name Nor- Jewison, Norman Jewison, yeah. but still. Yeah. Uh, we not- had Topol on the show, by the way. Oh, exciting! Many years ago. Okay, so. Uh, it, yeah, he's Jewish. But anyway, uh, righteous Gentile films are almost universally true. Perpetrator films, except if they have to do with Eichmann and Mengele, are are, are universally fictional, like Boys from Brazil, about cloning Adolf Hitler. Um, the, the, my favorite story about this is um, Marathon Man, uh, which is uh, Dustin Hoffman. Have you seen Marathon? Yeah. So, so the, he, he plays a, a, just a kid in New York, a, a, a graduate student in New York, whose brother, he doesn't realize, but his brother is in the CIA. And his brother's job is to get information about Nazis. Uh, and, and, and he gets the information from this old Nazi uh, na- who, who, named Zell, who uh, is kind of like Mengele. And he's been hiding out in Argentina, and he's played by Laurence Olivier, Sir, Sir Laurence Olivier, who also was in Boys from Boys from Brazil. And he plays his his trick during the Holocaust was that he was a dentist, and the way he would get information from people was he would drill on them on their teeth, and he would, and, and so Roy Scheider, who played Dustin Hoffman's brother, would give him money and diamonds would get his, he had he had a storehouse of diamonds in new york that zell did the the nazi and roy scheider would make sure he could live comfortably uh in exchange for giving up the old nazis that he knew about mm-hmm. but then the courier was killed and zell was worried that his diamonds were going to be stolen by dustin hoffman and so he, they kidnap. So he comes back to America, Zell does. He kidnaps Dustin Hoffman. He puts him in a dental chair and he starts to drill on it's him. It's one of the most famous scenes, I and think. And he says, is it safe? And Dustin Hoffman has no idea what he's saying. Is it? Oh, yeah, it's very safe. Is it? No, it's terribly dangerous. Just stop drilling. You got to see the scene. Just go to YouTube and see, is yeah. it safe? And the original script for it was uh, written by um, uh, Goldman. The, 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 I forget his first name, but he, he wrote... Uh, 
Not Akiva, right? No, 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 no. William Goldman. William Goldman. He he wrote Princess Bride and and uh, the novel behind it. He he wrote. He's he, I mean he's one of the greatest screenwriters and novelists. Uh, Hollywood is filled with his work. And John Schlesinger was the director. And Hoffman is sitting in this meeting for the film before that calls for him at the end of the film to kill the Nazi. And he says, I won't do it. He says, no Jew would do it. He says, go get Al Pacino to play this part. Do whatever you want, but I won't F and kill him. It won't happen. And these guys who were a big deal in Hollywood were saying, that's what he doesn't matter. And in fact, uh, that's the way it's always been with perpetrator films. Even if a Jew is sitting there with a gun to the head of a Nazi, he, the Jew it, doesn't pull the trigger. Never. Although we know the Jews did try to avenge. Not in film. They yeah. don't. Yeah. In Made in Israel, you rem- I don't want to spoil the ending, but you remember how that goes? No. It was, I saw it a long time ago. In, in Boys from Brazil. There, Lawrence Olivier is the Nazi. Is not the Nazi. He's the Nazi hunter. He's playing Simon Wiesenthal. He has a gun to the head, basically, of Gregory Peck, who's Joseph Mengele. And at the very last minute, after almost three hours of this endless film, a pack of dogs comes in and eats, eats him. Right. It's a, the, you, you, that's how you you remember Hachov, the the debt. Mm-hmm. Does, do, do the Jews, the, the Jews who, who go to, or walk on water, the, the, another Israeli, do the Jew, Jews end up killing? No. no. Never. In reality, there are instances, and so why do you think there's this dissonance? It's the Dustin Hoffman principle. Just You just don't do it. You just don't make the Jews look like the Nazis. Ah, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of moral equivalence. It's a matter that we, we won't stoop to that level. It's a thing. Or is, it, is, it, is it moral uh, uh, like pretension? I don't look at it that way. It's just the way that, that Hollywood works. You just can't do it. So I have a few questions. I got to get out of the way. So first of all, you talked about Life is Beautiful. There's this book in Hebrew. I don't know if you heard about it. That critiques Life is Beautiful heavily. Because it claims that it hides like the, the hard parts. So by doing that, like you never see anything harsh in the movie. Everything is off camera. Even the, the, the final scene when he's being executed is off camera. So he claims that by that, it's sort of a Holocaust denialish thing because, right? Because he won't show you. It's all happy, happy, joy, joy. And uh, so what do you think about that? That's my question. Okay. So my field of study is narrative Holocaust film. It's not documentaries. In all narrative film, I don't care what film it is, all narrative film is fictional. Even if it's portraying something that's true. It doesn't matter if it's Lincoln. It doesn't matter if it's Argo. It doesn't matter. It's a, an interpretation of what happened. There was no, no camera in the room when it happened. So let's start there. Okay? And if you look at, if you look at it from that point of view, then you can say that every film has the ability to, uh, to, to be fuel for Holocaust denial because nothing is exactly the way it was. You can take anything and say 
It's not true. In that particular film, you don't have to go that far. You can just say, well, what are, what are Americans doing riding into Auschwitz? You know, uh, there, there used to be an American president named uh, Barack Obama. No, I knew. <laughs> and when Obama was, uh, was uh, campaigning before he was president, he said that he had an uncle who uh, was an Auschwitz liberator. And one of the reporters said, ah, so your uncle was in the Red Army? <laughs> uh, and he said, let me get back to you on that. And he looks it up and he found out that it was Buchenwald and it was a great uncle. And, but in Life is Beautiful, they're American tanks riding and liberating this place. Now, in their defense, in the, and obviously it was the Soviets, it wasn't America. In the defense of the movie, they never say it's Auschwitz. They imply it's Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. But they never... Uh, it doesn't matter, though. It's fiction. So anybody... What, why? That, that's the one thing they're going to use for Holocaust denial? No, but I mean, it, it's very... It's If you compare it to The Pianist, Pianist... Like, how do you feel? You, you, in the end of the day, Life is Beautiful is a feel-good movie, right? Yeah. And The Pianist isn't. No, and it's tragic. The whole idea is that I think that they're well aware of the, uh, of the contrast that, that they're creating. The idea that there's this veneer of happiness that would only be, you'd only be able to sell to a child and not to an actual... The whole, it's playing on the fact that you know be- that behind the curtain there's this horrible thing happening. And I think that's the whole idea of life is beautiful. Well, except the father dies. I mean, classically, it's a tragedy and Schindler's List isn't. Classically, if you say that tragedy is when you don't succeed and, 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 and otherwise it's not, then the pianist is not a tragedy. Because he lives. Because he lives. Yeah. Uh, So I don't think that's the measure of it. Um, the Pianist is a great film. Uh, it, the, the greatest thing about The Pianist, though, especially when you contrast, contrast it with Schindler's List, is that Roman Polanski, who made the film, who was a Holocaust survivor, and very much was like what was in the pianist his life uh he had a nazi in there and it was a true story uh, a soldier named hosenfeld who helped the pianist the adrian brody character and that man too has been uh honored by yad vashem as righteous among the gentiles uh but polanski never elevated him to the level that Spielberg elevated Schindler. Polanski could have done so much with that. Instead, he created a distance between between Adrian Brody's character and the Nazi that they they weren't buddies. And even in the end, where he's in a where the Nazi is is basically a POW is about to be shot by the Soviets. Brody has nothing to do with him. He walks away. Like, okay, so you helped me a little bit, but you're a Nazi. Goodbye. And that was the courage. That was that was really the courage of of, of Polanski was 
mm-hmm. not to fall into the trap of, and, and, and it should be said that Polanski was offered uh, Schindler's List by Spielberg, who took 10 years. He was looking to, to, for, for other people to direct it. He owned the property and he didn't feel he was ready to do it. And I have great respect for Steven Spielberg, enormous respect. I like none of his movies, but I have, <laughs> I, I like catching if you can, but. As a person, not as, as a yet director. Yet another one who won't be uh, interviewed <laughs> yeah. for your next yeah. book. I, I, as Ari a, Fuhrman and Spielberg, you're I, two As nemesis. a person, he's great. He, I mean, he's a wonderful <laughs> man. He's a great philanthropist. He's never done anything to dishonor the Jews. He's never done anything. He just, I, I, I don't like his filmmaking uh, generally. And in, and in Schindler's List. Especially. <laughs> I, I, can't, uh, his, I, I could never, I can never forgive him for a shower fake out scene where he puts uh, Jews in a, in a, in a, in a shower and makes the audience believe there's going to be gas that comes out, which is not the way it happened. Mm. He, if they were going to be in a shower, it wasn't a, a sealed room that where everybody knew that they were going to be. Th- these were people off the train. I mean, this was so manipulative. It's like in uh, Indiana Jones, where you just like you're sitting face to face with a bunch of snakes. What? It's just to it's just to scare the audience. But as you said, I mean, the whole idea is, I mean, the whole idea of creating a Holocaust film is, is to create fiction and to get across a message and to tell a narrative that's set in a certain time. And I mean, it's still a movie. You're still trying to get your audience to feel things, to, to, to have some kind of sensation. So, I mean, if you use a, a little bit of a manipulation, then what's the big deal? Well, I didn't say that the whole idea was to make fiction, Aton. I said that that they are all that they are all fictional at some point. That there is mm-hmm. fiction in all of them. If if you're Quentin Tarantino, then it's clear to everybody that everything in it is fictional, whether it's Once Upon a Time in America, where uh, we know afterwards that the Mansons did kill Sharon Tate. Uh, or, or in Inglorious Bastards, where we know that Adolf Hitler was not killed in a in a movie theater by um, Jewish refugees, uh, in, a, in who were American soldiers. But here, people in, watch the scene and the, they're like, in this "Oh, case, that's how it happened." In this case, Schindler's List was so specific about the Holocaust that the daughter of the commandant that was played by. Um, What's Ralph, uh, Ralph Fiennes. Fiennes. The, the real daughter of the commandant saw the film and recognized that it was her father who she had never met. Everything in this film was, was intended to be specific. How they built the Warsaw Ghetto. Everything. So if you're implying that everything's true and then afterwards you, you have a scene like this that implies that Jews knew that they were going into a gas chamber and did nothing, which is what that scene says. You look around a room with a thousand people that all know that the gas is going to flow and they just walk in. That's what that scene is implying. And, and that is n- not accurate in the sense that what Jews that knew that they were going into the gas chambers... There were, or they didn't know ever, or that they, when they did know, they they somehow 
uh, tried to object. Like they what, didn't. What is they the, the, that was the, that was the most guarded secret of the Germans mm. was what was going to happen there. These people got up. They were starved after days on a train, disoriented, marched into a, a a room. These were the people who were going to be killed. Marched into a room, separated, stripped, and shoved into a a sealed gas chamber. How would they know what's going to happen to them? One or two out of a thousand may have heard a story, but they wouldn't have known. And anybody who did know, basically the Sando Commando, if they escaped, they were hunted down and killed. The Germans would let some people, I mean, they didn't hunt down everybody who got out, but those people were not allowed to. This was not a known thing there were mm. people who who thought we're not going to survive this place but they didn't know we're going to go into a shower and gas is going to come out okay so here's the question you know when you sent me an email uh and told me about your book i knew i had to have you to ask this question because this question has been bothering me um for 15 years at least so we live in israel and if you live in Israel, Holocaust is in your veins, right? You grow up in, like every year, Holocaust Day, the siren, in the education system, and uh, in your ancestry. It's everywhere. And we breathe it, and it's in our blood. And while in the last few decades, I think hundreds of millions of shekels were invested by the government into Israeli fiction films, there is no movie ever made in Israel, it actually takes place during the Holocaust, right? It's always one of the other of the four. It's uh, it's in after it's effect. Perpetrator. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. They're, never, mostly, they're mostly survivor films. Never, ever was there a movie that actually t- takes place in the Holocaust. Not documentary, but fiction. How do you explain that? Right. Well, first let's say that Israel makes really good uh, survivor films. Um, one director in particular, Ellie Cohn, not, you know, obviously the spy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he made ma- TV movies mostly. He made, uh, he made the, the two with Gila Almagor, uh, in, in English, it's summer, uh, summer, uh, with Avia. Avia yeah. Right. And, and under the doom tree, mm-hmm. uh, which was they were a continuation of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is a recommended film of mine. And he also uh, was the director of a Canadian film uh, called, um, I'll remember it, uh, about two survivors having a conversation in Montreal. Uh, and... Uh, and there was another Israeli film called The Letters to America. Mechavim, uh, I don't know if you know this one. No. Peled. No, don't know this one. Um, which was uh, about a survivor who had a family, uh, has a family. And he hears that his uh, brother, that somebody with his brother's name is working for John Kennedy. In the obviously this is 1961, 1962, uh, a, a perfectly reasonable Jewish name, 
that a million people have. Uh, John Schwartz or whatever is working for John. And he's convinced it's his brother, who everybody knows is dead from Auschwitz. Everybody. So he writes a letter to this man, hoping that, beyond hope that it's going to be. And he waits, and he harasses the mailman. His family is miserable and just waiting. And finally, his little boy, the little boy, uh, finds someone in the city who, who has an English typewriter and types out a letter, Dear I hope you're doing well. Yes, I'm from that city, but I'm not your brother. But I, I hope that uh, you have a nice day and we can meet someday. And it's very sweet. And so this is what he needed. So to answer your question, in order to make those films, vic victim films and righteous Gentile films, you need to have a, today especially, you need to do the whole thing. You can't just go into a sound and in, into a set and set up a couple of beds wooden beds and say okay we're at Auschwitz you got to have a budget you got to have a film you, you you're not this, this isn't saying that and Israelis don't generally have that budget to to to, to make those huge I always felt like that's <laughs> an excuse you know well uh, do you know a lot of Israeli films that have a 10 million dollar budget I can't think of any. No, but first of all, today the budgets are bigger with uh, also TV shows, the TV industry. But I don't know. I feel in 2021, it's you can get away with with like you can make movies for less money than 20 years ago, right? It's it's a cheaper endeavor, and also you can make you can make an indie film. I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if you feel better that, that about that, I mean, if it'll make you feel better, that the people who produced the Gray Zone were Israelis. It just wasn't American yeah. Israeli produced, right? So, uh, but but you take who are the biggest Israeli filmmakers? I mean, who's bigger than uh, uh, Avinashel is the biggest one. Yeah, Avinashel could have done it if yeah. he wanted to do it. He would have done it, or, right? Or maybe uh, um, Joseph uh, Cedar. Yeah, Joseph Cedar also. If they, if those two guys would want to do a Holocaust movie that takes place actually during the Holocaust, they would have pulled it off. So, so why don't you think? I think it's it has to do maybe with the same reason, right? They won't show a Jew shoots um, a Nazi, and to me, it's just. And it has to do with the reason Ari Fuhrman puts a refu refugees in the end of, of, of they don't want to deal. I, th I think the reason is political. To me, it's political. Those, those people don't want to deal with the consequences and the meaning of actually putting back to life those, those because it means it, it has consequences, right, for today even. And they just don't want to shove it down our memory and focus on easier themes like guilt and stuff like that, that you have in the survivor genre. That's my interpretation. But I don't see Israeli films doing big things like this. I, I, I mean, Beaufort perhaps was, but even then I, th these are, you, you got to really, these are not easy films to make. And and you also have to have the story. What story? What story are you? Oh, come on. <clears throat> but what story are you missing from the Holocaust at this point? I mean, what story? 
in in the Holocaust, I'm talking about during the Holocaust, what story are you missing? What has not been told? No, but th I think also the first point is a good one. Can you think of an example of another Israeli film where there was where it wasn't set in the current times in Israel or yeah. or or at least the the roughly the era where a lot of money was spent on costumes, on sets, on uh, creating a whole had, different time I think period. I sure had uh, several of those, for example. Yeah. 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 The b but it wasn't set in Israel. It was ah, well, like the Antebi film had money behind it, but those guys had money and yeah. I don't know. To me, it's 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 a problem. It's, it's not a problem because we do so well with the survivor films. We've made so many good survivor films, and uh, and Made in Israel is a great perpetrator film. The, I, I'll tell you the problem with survival films, in my opinion. Right? I think about young people, Jews and non-Jews, who simply don't know what the Holocaust is. So to them, a survival film is meaningless. It's meaningless. They need actual films that take place. They need, an, like, if you want people to understand 20, 30, 40 years from now, you got to keep doing films that actually take place during the Holocaust. Otherwise, because people are not going to see the gray zone, young people. They can't see those movies. They're too, they, they're, you know? Even I feel, even, I don't know if in 20 years the pianists will be watchable by young people with their uh, mentality. So, you know what I'm saying? So, I feel like it's it's important to make... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I understand. I just, I had a revelation while we were talking. I mean, something came to my mind that solves all of our problems. It's done. We don't even have to worry about okay. this anymore. I mean, it's finished. Computer it's, games. No. Oh. No, we have it. You're talking about an Israeli-made Holocaust film that takes place during the Holocaust. The Instagram story movie thing with the girl. Yeah. <laughs> Ava's stories. Ava's story. No, although <laughs> that was awful. I although I did write a scathing review of it for the Jerusalem Post. <laughs> okay, look it up. Okay, I also wrote a scathing review of uh, the Anne Frank video diary that uh. that also came out, uh, and the producer of that was very kind and wrote a beautiful uh, uh, blurb for my book, uh, even though. He 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 was quoted in this. Even knew he knew it was he crap. <laughs> he, he not the film, the book. But yeah. yeah. By the way, so what's the the solution? Oh, to I our... forget. No, you have the movie. Anne Frank, Ari Fullman. He made one. You got it. Okay, you got your uh, you got your wish. It came know. true. I what? Know. I don't know. I haven't I didn't seen say, it. You so didn't say I it can't... had to be good, and you didn't say it had to be. Oh, a news... it obviously has to be good. And otherwise... you didn't say it had to be a new story. But I think that that segues to my next point. That I have you watched? I, I guess you don't play computer games, right? Or I'm being stereotypical, but do you play computer games? Because Castle Wolfenstein. Have you heard about those games? No, I play Settlers of Catan online. Okay, but have you heard about uh, Escape from Castle Wolfenstein? No, and I've the, heard of the, the I've whole... heard of there, the, the, there's a Hitler board game. No, I don't know that uh, about that. But this but, is a computer game. So, uh, Escape from Castle Wolfenstein Wolfenstein is one of the first video games ever made uh, in 3D, just after Doom, and it's famous. And now they've been remaking it for several years, 
And I think maybe that's the solution because it's really good. It's, it's, it's the genre that you, don't, you told me on your email that you don't like, which is sci-fi and Holocaust. But it's like an alternative history game where uh, it's in the 60s and the Nazis won and they, they rule over entire Europe and you play in this uh, underground uh, militia that tries to over- overthrow them. It's really, really good. It's really well made, and, uh, and the but story it's is a great, solution so. to a problem that doesn't exist because you already have the answer to your question, which is we made the Anne Frank movie now, <laughs> yeah, and well. it's done. Also, if you're trying to educate the youth about like history, <laughs> I don't think you want to have a Escape from Castle Wolfenstein. I'm not either. sure. I'm not sure about it. Where it's an alternate history? I'm not sure. I think it's good for... It's a good way to... Why? It'll be like a gateway. It'll get them interested in the history. First of all, yes. Second of all, it does show like very... Like in a very grotesque way. Who are the Nazis? What were they all about? It is grotesque, but on the other hand, Nazis were grotesque, right? But But that was the theory behind... Well, first of all, there was an Anne Frank video game. I'm going to tell you right now was there there was oh god okay and there were anne frank cosmetics and an anne frank halloween costume and okay so okay but um that was the problem with ava's stories is that they thought you know what we're gonna we're gonna send this out on instagram and all the kids are gonna it's gonna be a gateway for them and they're all gonna from fomo they're gonna jump on and want to learn about the Holocaust. And it was a piece of crap. I mean, it was just like, there's this girl with with Instagram Instagram overlays and you're supposed to like her and send her love. And it was a complete lie that they had hundreds of millions of followers or, or that it had been viewed hundreds of millions, whatever it was. It was like, it was an- It was unbe- a PR stunt. It was an unbelievable stretch of, because it was segmented into like 30 pieces. And people had watched one a little bit. I mean, it was it was so misleading. The people had a, a good. It, they made it in good faith. They wanted to. They wanted to move the needle. Yeah, but, did they? Oh, of course they did. But but or how, did they just want to get? No, uh, they they made, they spent a fortune on it. No, no, no. They, 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 these people made it in good faith. And and I have to say that that. There has been there is no genre of of film that has had more variation than Holocaust film. There's absolutely they've done everything. There, there's been uh, science fiction, animation, and there and and, and web stuff and uh, superheroes. X Men. Absolutely, X Men is is first is, scene of the first movie. One of uh, to me amazing. Scene. No, no, for sure. It's it, it's it's a survivor film. The entire thing. Absolutely, it's listed as a survivor film, and, and, and so is X Men First Class, where the first nine minutes, he, he's he's in Auschwitz. Yeah, uh, for sure. The, the, there's there has been not, they've they've tried shorts. They've had miniseries. They've had uh, uh, fil- films that are four hours long. They've had every possible variation of film. And some work and some don't, but in the end, you haven't had like a slapstick comedy yet. Oh yeah, oh really? yeah, oh for sure they have. They've had a dozen, and some of them are good. One of the most recommended films I ha- I, I I have is called Genghis Cohen. Uh, 
which uh, which is about uh, a Nazi in Germany who is in the 1950s. He's a police captain. Uh, nobody knows he was a Nazi. And uh, there was a Jew who was a, a comedian who uh, uh, he killed. You see him kill him in, in a ravine. Uh, and the last thing the Jew says to him is kiss my ass in Yiddish. And then the Jew comes back as a ghost and drives him crazy. Just nuts. And uh, it's total slapstick. There's another great film, another great German film called Mein Fuhrer. My, and, yeah. it, and it goes on, uh, the, the name is like, my Fuhrer, my greatest, the greatest Fuhrer who ever Fuhrer lived. And of course, Charlie Chaplin. Well, okay, so. Great dictator. So Mein Fuhrer is, is kind of what, what the great dictator wanted to be. Uh, without that stupid ending of Chaplin's and and uh, the whole Mussolini bacteria thing that he had. In this case, in, in Mein Fuhrer, uh, the premise is great, where the, toward the end of the last days of the war, the Fuhrer has lost his mojo. He's, he's like depressed, and he can't really motivate the troops anymore. Berlin's about to fall, and they really need to get him Oh, going. So they go to uh, one of the death camps and they get this famous acting uh, director who's a Jew. And they know that this Jew is going to frustrate and aggravate and annoy Hitler so much that he'll get his mojo back. <laughs> and they bring him in. And it get is the anti-Semitism back in him. It is such a funny and, 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 and they have the fourth wall ending like in The Great Dictator. But they do it right. So, and, and there's another one called the, the, the Train of Life. Total slapstick about a village in Poland where they hear uh, that what's really happening. And so they decide to make a train and, and take it to Palestine. Uh, the whole thing is slapstick. And there are others. There are many others that are good. In fact, really, Only Life is Beautiful and Jojo Rabbit as comedies fail, uh, but maybe one or two others, but mostly they succeed. Wow. So, uh, yeah. it, it does lead to one last question maybe we'll end on, and uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on Holocaust humor. I mean, you know, jumping off the comedy, uh, Holocaust comedy movies, but like generally speaking, what I mean, not necessarily only contained to the film world, but you know, jokes about the Holocaust. How do you, how do you kind of perceive that whole thing? Because there's the one side where it's you know that's the way that Jews cope with it, and on the other side, it's this you know uh, thing that we can't desecrate. And uh, so, how do you how do you kind of what's your take on that? Well, I always start when people talk about Holocaust comedy with uh, Robin Williams, Jacob Delire. No, 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 no. That was another. Holocaust comedy that failed. Yeah. Robin Williams, but a good call. Robin Williams is being interviewed by a German. And the German asked him uh, on Germ in German television, why is it that you think that we have such a problem that, that Germans aren't funny? And he said, perhaps it's because you killed all the funny people. <laughs> now, you can tell that joke. And it's not tasteless. 
And you can repeat Robin Williams saying it. It's not tasteless. It's like Ricky Gervais had a bit uh, where he's talking about uh, Anne Frank and the Germans every day going into the house and they hear this typing and I don't know what I don't know what that sound he, he does a whole bit about it. it's hilarious you can do things that are tasteful I mean, it can be done I, the, it, it, it's it's not a black or white thing it's on the spectrum if it's funny uh, and it's tasteful then of course you can do it uh, if it if it's distasteful it's like any other humor you can't make you can make jokes about gay people or black people or anybody else as long as yeah, but if you're a neo-nazi that, that's another yeah. story I mean, to me it's it, a risk reward thing i think that it's it's uh if it's funny it it's tasteful the second it's not funny it's yeah, uh, right that's it's true like, about everything i mean you, yeah. you somebody who's making a, a joke about car salesman if it's funny it's funny if it's not it's not ricky gervais can make anything funny uh he can ruin it too and but it's just a high risk situation so you don't want to step into it if unless you're one of the best because if you try and make a joke and it turns out badly then you're seen as you know okay and it's an awful thing okay but, but by, if it had just been you know timed right or whatever and it was funny then it would be funny but by definition if it's somebody that we know about mm -hmm. then they've gotten to a point where they are one of the best mm -hmm. i mean we're we're not talking Omri Caspi here, who, you know, had an okay career. He's a fine guy. He played. We're, we're talking about people who actually, Robin Williams, Ricky Gervais, these people were all stars. These were, so any comedian who, who is worthy, I mean, John Mulaney, I mean, people, people know what, how, to, how to handle a joke just like you would know how to handle anything that's radioactive. You do it the right way, mm -hmm. and, and you can make something out of it. And if you don't, you burn yourself up. Yeah. So, guys, the new book is coming up this month. Go God to HolocaustFilms.com. HolocaustFilms.com. And purchase the book. Will there be a digital version, too, or only hard copy? There will be a, a, a okay. digital version. And uh, you can also join the mailing list there. And uh, I'm new to this. I'm new to publicity. Uh, I'm new to podcasts. I thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. And and if if any, I I, I hate to. I mean, I hate to ask this, but if any no, of no. your listeners, yeah, uh, can think of ways for me to get my message out, uh, if you, I'm going to look in the camera. If any, <laughs> if, if any of look you can look right in the eye. <laughs> if any of you can help uh, me figure out uh, how to get the message out about uh, my book and, and Holocaust films, I'll be very appreciative. How can people reach out? You're on social media? I am, uh, but go to holocaustfilms.com and, okay. and you'll see a, 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 contact a, us. a, a contact form. You could, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's the, the best way. I'm not too hard to find Rich Brownstein. It's right. Uh, not too hard <laughs> okay cool uh, but you guys have been great thank you, guys, you. such thank an you. honor to make my podcast debut with you thank you so much our it's pleasure our honor. Honor, honor. so um rich has gotten a present yes and which is the the mug the nice jewish he is a nice jewish boy he got the nice jewish boy mug and we also have 
a BDS Tears mug. <laughs> so if you want uh, to get your own BDS Tears mug or nice Jewish boy mug, then uh, go to 2NJB.com slash merch, yes. guys, uh, for the incredible the price of uh, 15 bucks and free shipping. Yeah. Uh, so, so check that out. And of course... Yeah, so the podcast is uh, in col- is made in collaboration with Arutz Sheva. Check them out at israelnationalnews.com for great content in English about Israel. Also, ajn.timesofisrael.com, the Australian Jewish news for the Australian angle. Uh, opinions, news, great source, ajn.timesofisrael.com. Last but not least, we accept also donations. So if you want to help us out, go to 2ngb.com slash donate. And that is it. Thank you so much, Rich. Thank Thank you, Rich. Good luck with the book. Thank you, boys. You do a great job. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Bye, guys.